Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. The Liberia podcast team recently took a trip to Marseille to meet with author of Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, Carlo Ravelli. At the University of Lumini, situated on the outskirts of the city, we spoke about everything from medieval Italian poet Dante to the important influence of philosophers Immanuel Kant and Barak Spinoza on the thinking of Einstein and his mind-blowing discovery of general relativity. With this interview in mind, there's a few books I'd like to recommend. I think for me, one of the most rewarding reads in this area is That of Reality is Not What It Seems by the man himself, Carlo Rovelli. I've read this a couple of times now, and it's that good. I refer to the ideas in it on numerous occasions during our interview. So if you want further reading, do pick that up here at Liberia. Given we also discuss black holes, it's worth giving Caleb Shars Gravity's Engines a punt. Very clear and inspirational account of what black holes actually are and how they're integral to the workings of galaxies. The story of discovering the black hole at the center of the Milky Way, Sagittarius A, is in particular fascinating. Lee Smolin's Time Reborn always tops my list for mind-blowing concepts such as cosmological natural selection or shape dynamics. And another book on physics that I've read a couple of times now. Smolin also has a new book out, Einstein's Unfinished Revolution, which I'll have on the bedside table to inspire during the dark winter nights, no doubt. But now let's join with the maestro, Carlo Ravelli. Carlo Ravelli, great to, to speak with you again here at Lumini. Great to have you here. Um, so I wanted to start from the start. Okay. Uh, your time in Italy growing up, what, what, what inspired you to, to go down the path of physics? I, I mean, it's, you're influenced by so many different writers and thinkers and philosophers. I mean, was it natural for you to, 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 to get, in, get, get passionate about physics? Um, no, not at all. Um, many of my uh, friends who in science um, went into science uh, got in love with science very early as children. Uh, it was not my case, not at all. Um, I had all sorts of other things in mind. And uh, in fact, I didn't think of going into science until very, very late. And um, uh, at the end of high school, I was not even sure of going, whether I wanted to go to the university. Um, I chose physics uh, mostly by elimination of everything else, anything else. Mm. Uh, I wanted to um, stay out of the system, as we would say at that time, because I distrusted university like any other institutions. I'm part of that generation. Is that, is that a, a post-war kind of distrust of institutions in general across Europe, or is it specific to Italy? Is in general across Europe. Um, uh, in the UK, at the time I was reading the anti-psychiatrist, uh, um, Ronald Lang and Cooper, and uh, who were just uh, teaching all of us kids don't trust the hospitals and the, <laughs> and the psychiatrists, for instance, just as an example. So um, the sense that uh, there was something wrong in the system, as we were calling it, um, and that we wanted something very different. Um, in fact, I grew up uh, thinking that I should distrust anybody who is more than 30. Okay. Um, 
which became a little bit of a problem when I got 30, <laughs> and now I'm 60, so... <laughs> um, I still think it's sort of true. I think the, yeah. the young people should trust themselves. Uh, young people make mistakes, of course, yeah. uh, by lack of knowledge of... Uh, um, but by not trusting the old people, they open new, new directions, and our world is generated by people who in the past have opened new directions. So okay. I think, so I, I, I was part of this um, 60s and 70s uh, uh, generation who wanted to go elsewhere. I was infinitely curious, I, I, I was reading a lot, I was interested in philosophy, um, I was interested in understanding. Um, the world for me was a big, great confusion and I wanted to, to go, to explore, to learn. Uh, um, I think the physics at some point attracted me because uh, I got the feeling that there was some sort of knowledge there. I didn't know which sort of knowledge, but uh, uh, maybe in the 60s when I was a kid, uh, it was even more clear that somehow science has found something. Okay. And scientists were certainly capable of doing stuff. Um, you know, human just got to the moon and, <laughs> yeah. and were changing the world. But it's more than that. There was something funny about the world which was discovered by science. So there was some... I, I was curious what was this knowledge into science. And this, I felt that by going into it, I would learn something. Okay. So I, I enrolled in physics at university out of curiosity, not thinking at all that that would become my yeah. vocation. Yeah. No. And then... Um, I traveled a lot. In fact, I dropped out of university. I traveled. I spent one year traveling. I came back. There was a lot of politics at the time. I was involved in politics in, in, in the radical politics of the 70s in Italy. Was that a mar of a Marxist? Would you, would you have said that you had been yeah, I was persuaded by that argument? Uh, yeah, socialism, communism was certainly one of the inspirations, but was not, not the only one. In fact, it was more... I think it was more the the world of the hippies of the late 60s, okay. that was an inspiration. Um, um, I guess there was a strong sense that the world is going in the wrong directions. Uh, can we go in a totally different direction? Different way of doing families, of living together. It's a lot of exploration. We would live together uh, among young people trying to reinvent everything in a, in a way which today would seem totally radical and incomprehensible, I suppose. I was in this... Um, mind frame. And if you had asked at the time what do you want to do with your life, I would say, I don't know, I want to be a poet, I want to be a beggar going around, I want to go in a monastery in Tibet, I want to, to, to travel the world and discover strange places, I want to live in Africa with a tribe, uh, pre-civilization. This was kind well, of... Yeah. Um, Exploration, let, yeah. let, let, let the mind be free, yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then, I, I, I was studying physics the meanwhile, once in a while, you know, I would go back to Bologna. Bologna was the place where I was studying. And uh, uh, go to see a professor, say, so what do I have to study for the, your course? And get the books, maybe a couple of books. And I would read not the two books, but maybe five books, six books. Okay. And then take an exam. And I was doing pretty well, in yeah. fact. And then it was just falling in love. Um, Relativity, quantum theory. I mean, this was so radical, what was going on in science. Do um, you think at that stage, I mean, it, it, it was so radical, but even Einstein's you know, discoveries, do, do you think at that stage that the public had even grasped? No. Okay. 
No, and maybe even today, I think the full radicality of what science has discovered in the last century has not really been absorbed. I, mean, I wrote a book about space and time in which mostly I talk about uh, Einstein discovery about space and time. This is sort of half the story, then there's all quantum mechanics. It's a, um, not, not only the, the public at large, but even the, 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 the culture and even the physicists themselves, they, they use these theories. Um, but what they actually they teach us about the world, uh, it's, it's radical. The world is totally different than what we used to think in our life. And that hit me. Okay. Uh, I said, wow. Uh, I want to study this. And um, in the meantime, two other things happened. One is that um, uh, the world wild, uh, because it was, not, it was not just Europe, it was the same in China, it was the same in Mexico, it was the same in, uh, in Berkeley, it was the same. Um, this big uh, wave of uh, faith in the capacity of young people of changing the world was going down, very much down. So the sense was, well, the world doesn't want to be changed. Um, we might try to live differently, but the world wants to go its own way. I mean, just, you know, make money, have your job, uh, get success, uh, and uh, each country fighting against each other country. That's not the world we wanted, but that's what seemed everybody else wanted. So yeah. there was a sense of defeat. That was one thing. And the other thing was that I actually realized that it was good. And, I mean, I, I realized that taking exams and I was getting the best grades. And uh, my friends uh, with whom I was studying were coming to me and asking questions I was explaining to them. It was a big surprise to me. I had not, never realized up to that point um, that I was actually good. The, the Italian system has something which I love in, in, in the middle of a lot of other disasters, which doesn't push uh, at all competitivity between students. There's no ranking, there is no sense of you have to be better than your friends. I mean, somehow you get your grades and your friends, whatever. Um, which was very good because uh, I was scared by competition with my friends. I didn't want competition with my friends. Um, but at the same time, I never realized that it was good at that. It took, I, okay. I, I got to 24, 25, because uh, when uh, somehow people around me, my professors were coming to me and say, look, you're good at this. Okay. And then I was- this more physics or mathematics or a combination of the physics. two? Okay. Physics. I'm not good in mathematics. Okay. Mathematics is not my stuff. Not true. In fact, I- um, but you, I mean, you write so well about it in, in, in your books. It's, um, yes. I mean, that's I know it's a different thing. You're communicating with the reader in, in, a, in a more kind of accessible, shall we say, yes. setting. Yeah. Yes. To be a mathematician, you have to have the mindset of a mathematician. You have to think in terms of theorems, what is sure, what is not sure. A physicist is different. You don't think in terms of what is sure, what is not sure. You think in terms of what is plausible and what is not plausible. Uh, it's a very different way of thinking. And I'm a physicist, I'm not a mathematician. Um, but, to but I did understand physics well, and uh, I distinctively remember, maybe I was, I don't know, 24, 25, uh, one day I thought, wait a minute, um, I love this stuff, I'm totally fascinating this, I want to learn, maybe I can do this in life. Yeah. I decided, yes, let's be a theoretical physicist. Okay. And Theoretical, were you sure even at that stage that it, it was going to be quantum as opposed to the, the, the larger Einstein's relativity, so to speak? Was it, were you sure that, there were or, was, two, or is, that, is that a longer path? Physics is a, is a huge field, right, which, uh, which goes from 
uh, understanding how material works, uh, uh, astrophysics, the stars. And, uh, I wanted to do basic fundamental science, somehow uh, the sort of basic grammar on which everything else is built. Okay. Um, not because it is more important, you know, okay. everything is important. Um, but I felt that there, there, there is where it was some, this knowledge I was curious about, how the world is, uh, is designed uh, um, in its most elementary uh, way. And that included two things, Einstein general relativity and quantum mechanics. Okay. And then I discovered uh, in, in, in getting into that and studying more and more reading, reading, I discovered that there was this fantastic open problem at the core of fundamental physics, which is the fact that these two theories, these two discoveries about the world, uh, Einstein generativity and quantum mechanics, were not getting together and there was a problem of understanding how we talk one another. And I said, yeah, that's what I want to do in my life. I want to contribute to try to understand uh, uh, what seemed to be the, the obvious next step in, in fundamental science, which is to understand how quantum mechanics and generativity go together, namely, what's the quantum property of space and time. Okay. And then it was a spiral. I just forget, slowly forgot everything else. And I was not, I was emerging more and more in that. Uh, okay. uh, and it, when you have a passion, it's easy. Yes. It just takes you there. You don't have to struggle for it. Um, when did it become clear that something like loop quantum gravity was something that you felt you could add to? I mean, when did it? When did? When did? When did the whole idea of loop quantum gravity come um, about? I at, some, at that point, I started traveling a lot, okay. um, very much on my own, and go to see scientists. I went to London to see Chris Isham at Imperial College, and I spent a month or two there. Um, I loved this, that time. Imperial College is next to uh, Kensington Garden, where Peter Pan lived, so I felt a very <laughs> kinship with Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then I went to the US, I went to Syracuse, New York, to, to, because there was a group there. I went, I went to Yale, I went to Berkeley. Um, even that, I was a little bit an outsider. I would just go. Okay. Uh, even, I mean, write to people saying, do you mind if I come? And of course, scientists are very open, say, sure, come and spend some time there and talk to them. Um, a bit outside the standard institutional ways of asking for grants and yeah. doing things. Um, and uh, that's when I started to, to learn. Uh, um, uh, my, my PhD, yes, I didn't write any paper, okay. which today would destroy your career. Yeah. <laughs> I just systematically studied anything that had been done up to that point. Okay. Uh, what, do, what do you mean by that would destroy your career? The, PA, the actual... Today you have to produce okay, yeah. if you want to get a chance yeah. to have a postdoc, to have a position. Mm -hmm. You have to show you can do things very early. Mm. Um, I think if you want to be a scientist, it's much better that you use a lot of your time to just study yes. what others have done. Yes. Uh, read uh, what's around, read what's all the ideas around. Otherwise, you know, you focus on something. And if you're, if you're focused on something, you're not going to do a big step, big, big, uh, step because you only know one thing. Okay. 
And I had the luxury because of my being reckless and, <laughs> and not thinking about the future of not thinking about my career at all. I, okay. I was curious. So yeah. I, I studied, studied, studied. I ended my PhD without a single paper published. And I was just going around, but I knew a lot of stuff. I knew, basically, I knew the field. I really knew everything in the field. So when I went to talk to the scientists, um, I had ways to learn from each and contribute. And, uh, and, and uh, I learned from in London, I learned in Berkeley, I learned in, the, in Yale. And at some point, I started proposing new ideas, mm -hmm. suggesting new ideas. Um, and uh, mm, mm, Loop Quantum Gravity started during a visit of mine in Yale to Lee Smolin, um, who we became sort of instantly friends. We recognized each other from the same tribe, so to say, yeah. even if we had not seen one another before. Uh, same dream, same desperation, same confusion, same... And I learned what he was doing, and uh, he had made important steps. And uh, I s came with a suggestion. I said, Lee, why, you have done that. Why don't we mix with that? And, uh, okay. and so we got super excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we spent incredible months uh, going to this idea. Uh, and that was the beginning of Loop Quantum Gravity. Okay. And uh, we got the sense at that point uh, um, that this is something. This okay. is a, that we're opening a door here. Uh, so it, uh, we had the feeling that this was something that would grow. Okay. And in fact, this was what was the uh, late eighties at this point. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's thirty years. Okay. And now there is maybe three, four hundred people working into that. There. Uh, 20 groups in the world studying in that direction. It's not, we're not sure it's the right solution sure. of the problem of quantum gravity, but it's one possible solution or one possible direction to, to work or one possible piece of the solution. Um, and for me, it was, a, it was a, the, the opening of a new adventure okay. in a sense. And it, just to clarify as well, this, this idea that we're dealing with quanta, uh, Quanta doesn't occupy space. Quanta is space. This is a this is the core. What you said is exactly the core of quantum gravity in the way we we view it. So um, uh, Einstein's theory about space, space and time, and uh, the usual way of thinking of physics is the space and time. And then there's stuff moving into space and time. There's a table, my hands, the air, and it's made by atoms and things move around, maybe photons, and 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 all things are made by quanta. Uh, photons are quanta of light and so on, and they move in space. But when you do the quantum theory of space-time itself, then you have quanta of space. Mm -hmm. So this, um, these loops are a mathematical representation of actual quanta of space. They don't live in space, they make up space themselves. Okay. That's the core idea of loop quantum gravity, and that's in fact what we, what we stumbled upon, Liz Morning and I, in our long nights walking around and then our long days in front of a, of, a, of a blackboard. Lee had these funny mathematical equations, his solutions and loopy, and we, we could, at the beginning we couldn't understand what they are. Right. We were thinking these are things moving where. Okay. And then what we understood is that they were not moving where. These were the where. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
where other things would be upon. So there is, there is no where in which they are. They are not in some space. They are the, the, tec the texture of space itself. And I think you, you kind of describe it as fluctuating and vibrating and almost yes. all, it, it, it's, there, there's even time, time stops almost within it. Space yeah. doesn't, space in our conventional, all of these things, all of these ideas, conventional ideas of space and time stop. It, but at the same time, it's finite. If that makes yes, sense. yes, yeah. but that's a, that's a difficulty of the magic of quantum mechanics that allows this to happen. So, um, if, if you want to think of quantum gravity in these terms, uh, there is no space and a time to start with. It's actually it's fluctuating quanta elementary loop, elementary quanta, um, with their fluctuations, their being and non-being, jumping into being and non-being, and it's their actual dynamics that makes time, not the other way around. Time is the movement, so to say, mm -hmm. of, um, mm -hmm. of these things. And uh, what fascinates me is that uh, in this attempt to solve a technical problem in the foundation of the theory, um, you have to rethink what is space, what is time, and uh, what is matter, what it means for us to observe something, and even what it means to us to perceive. So yes. somehow, um, I'm happy with my life so far because uh, the questions that in my sort of rebellious adolescence I was throwing on the table uh, have guided my life okay. and I've been engaged in that. You think that that has allowed you a freer approach? Yeah. Along with, might I add, in, in, in your books, especially in Reality is Not What It Seems and The Order of Time, I mean, a lot of your arguments are framed around earlier thinkers as well and, and their ideas with regards to, you know, atomic theory, such as Democritus and Anaximander as well. And I think that's crucial to your thinking as well, isn't it? I mean, it's that collaborative uh, process over time. <laughs> um, that's so important, whether it's whether it is uh, Democritus or you know, in the 14th century, 13th, 14th century Dante as well, Dante Alighieri, the, the great poet. That's, these, these are key things, and a lot of those thinkers have, through the power of imagination, come up with theories on what reality is, but are not that far away from where we, you know, some of the theories yeah. now. Yeah, it's, um, it's on a different scale, but it's the same, um, what I said before about uh, uh, studying a single topic or, 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 or learning the full topic uh, uh, during my PhD years. Um, somehow, we, we all make the mistake that uh, uh, we know something and we think that this is it, this is how things are. Um, and the best way to co correct this mistake, and this is a mistake because it, 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 it um, forbids you for, for changing mind, for, for discovering the next thing. Um, uh, what, what allows you to avoid this mistake is to realize uh, that our particular idea, very often, it seems too natural to us, uh, is just a step in a long evolution 
uh, that uh, got to us there. And um, what we consider natural and obvious uh, in reality is a, is a process, uh, is a result of a very long process, uh, which is a historical process. Mm -hmm. And the more we know about this historical process, the more we have uh, what we see uh, in perspective, so to say. And we say, oh, well, it's just one little step of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so this opened the possibility of, 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 of changing. So um, I think it was a fortune for me not to go too early into, into, into science uh, because uh, uh, before going to science I studied a lot of philosophy, a lot of history, a lot of history of ideas uh, and also a lot of poetry, literature. There have been a continuous exchange mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of um, uh, ways of looking at the world uh, between all the different human intellectual activities. Mm. Um, in a sense we we have learned how to think of the world uh, uh, from Newton, but also from Shakespeare, and also from Dante, and also from Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, the larger is our baggage yes. of mental tools, the more we are free to make another step and learning something better. Consider different ideas. Yeah. There are different ideas, okay. and we and we don't make the mistake of taking our own perspective as the the obvious one, the sure one, the only possible one, which is what we always do as mistake. Mm -hmm. But the, le the more we can stay out of it, the better it is. Okay. And you do, would, is that something that you um, consciously do or still endeavor to do, to draw inspiration? I, you know, if you, if you are feeling blocked, you know, in theoretical... Yes, but uh, not uh, not as uh, not because they force me to do that. In fact, mm. it's the other way around. Mm. I force me to not to do that too much because okay. I'm curious. Yeah. I've always been too much curious. <laughs> so I'm tempted to go to a conference in neuroscience mm. because I want to understand how our mind works. I'm mm. tempted to read a book about Buddhism. I'm mm. tempted to read the, the novel of uh, Chinese. Uh, so I by instinct I would go all over and sometimes I say, well, wait a minute, uh, just don't, don't go sure. forever. Um, finish this, this <laughs> computation that you have to do, there's some integrals to be done. And, and uh, um, so it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's instinctive to me to, 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 to learn. This is my, has been my strength and my weakness okay. also, right? My okay. strength because I think uh, um, it has allowed me to, to, to produce ideas, okay. uh, to bring things together and also it's probably what has made it easier for me to, to write for the large public um, because I've not been too specialized in, in one thing. Okay. Uh, but then I realized that uh, um, in doing concrete physical calculations, I often need the help of my friends who know more technical Okay. Uh, I get stuck in a calculation. I have to go to my colleague and say, can so you help? It's that collaboration thing again, which is so important oh, to, yeah. your, to your, your philosophy and your overall thinking about yeah. uh, life in general. The, just to go back to Dante, the, the, there is an interesting um, idea he, he came up with, and you talk about it in reality as yeah. well, what it seems. And it's the three-sphere idea yeah. of the universe. And he, I mean, you talk about it in the book, and it is—it's incredible. I've read Dante, and it's a very difficult poem. I think it's in the Paradiso section yeah. that you. Could you explain that a little bit? Because it is fascinating how he came up with that, and how 
almost how, how uncanny it is, how accurate it is. And again, it's it's through that powerful force of imagination, isn't it, that he, that he comes up with, with this? Yes. Yes, I got very curious how he got into that. In fact, I, I ended up reading the books he read. Oh, really? Um, he, yes. Okay. Uh, he had a, a master, he was his, uh, his oh. teacher, oh. who wrote a couple of books. Uh, and I wanted to read these books because I, how the hell Dante got to this idea. The idea of the three sphere um, is not easy to explain. And in fact, you, you don't, if you don't know it already today, you read his book and you don't get it at all. Because, I, did, uh, I, I didn't get it. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't. In fact, it took, it took a mathematician, um, an American mathematician in the 70s, uh, um, I mean, to the shame of all the Italian da people studying yeah. Dante. <laughs> for a it took a, a, a Californian mathematician in the 70s who knew about three sphere okay. uh, and who read Dante and said, wait a minute, this is talking exactly talking about that. And once you once you know this and you make the, it's obvious that he's talking about that. The idea is that the shape of space, space, is that if you move in that direction, you walk, walk, walk in that direction, you come back from that direction. So that's the key idea. Um, so um, the universe is not infinite. Mm -hmm. You go in one direction, you go, 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 and, uh, and it somehow as a, as, as a topology, as a shape, mm -hmm. that you come back the other way. This is something Einstein... Yeah, uh, yeah. Einstein came exactly to the same idea because uh, the problem was that uh, it, it's hard to believe that the universe is infinite mm -hmm. for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But it's also hard to believe that the universe has a boundary. Yes. Right? So yeah. then what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so could it be finite mm -hmm. but without a boundary? Mm -hmm. That was the question. Mm -hmm. Could it be a finite universe, so, so the finite number of galaxies, but somehow no boundary? Mm -hmm. And the solution is a three sphere. So the, 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 the it, it's a shape such that any direction you go, you don't find a boundary, you just make a tour and come back to itself. And it's called three sphere because it's an analog of a two sphere, like yes. the surface of the earth. You walk around and, and, and if, you, if I walk in that direction on the earth, yes. I make a tour, I come back yes. here, right? Yes. So the surface of the, sphere, the earth is, is finite, but there's no boundary. Yes. Um, and what I found, so, um, uh, Dante has that completely clear. He describes that in the paradise, in, in a couple of places there. This, And what I found is that um, he learned the shape of the earth from his master. If you think the shape of the earth, today we teach children, uh, and it seems obvious to us, right? Well, the earth is a ball, so we walk on the ball. Of course mm. you make a tour, of course mm. it's finite, of course there's no boundaries, there's no there's no end that you, you see. Um, but it's not so obvious because wherever you are on the earth, uh, you're uh, upside. Uh, mm. Okay, so when you're on the other side, you're upside down. Mm. Mm. So how can you, it's not so obvious. In fact, it took very long for humanity to make yes. sense of that, right? So the, the fact that um, today we teach people say, look, look at an orange. The earth is like an orange. But it's not really like an orange mm. because an orange is a up and a down. Just doesn't happen up and down. So when Dante studied it, the way he learned about it from his master, I looked at the, the books of his masters, is this. Um, the explanation was uh, the earth is like uh, 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 is, is, is a surface of a sphere, which means that if you walk this way, you walk, 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 you come back. If two uh, horsemen take a horse and could yes. uh, go all the way and there were no oceans, they would meet the other side. 
Okay? So he learned the shape of the earth sort of from the inside without thinking of, of the outside. And once you learn it that way, it's not so hard. Yes. This, you know, Dante's before Newton, before Descartes, yeah. before this idea of a, of a rigid space, infinite. He was not confused by the things that seem natural to us, but are actually invention of the, of, of the 17th century, of the 18th century. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so he was more free. Yeah. And he said, okay, it should be the same for the universe. If I go in that direction, if I could fly in that direction, I could back the other direction. Astonishing. So he... Um, got this intuition, I have no idea whether Einstein, who studied in Italy, who was in Italy in his early years as a young man, um, ever met this idea, because it is also a possibility that he was inspired by Dante, but I have no uh, but, hint whatsoever that this actually happened. But also there's an added uh, visual, shall we say, dimension to this as well. You, you, you visited the basilica, uh, the, the inside of the basilica. Yes. In Florence. Is it Florence? Florence, yes, Battistero. And the, the, the artist depicts, I, I mean, I, I guess the way you describe it in reality is not what it seems. It, it, depictions of hell, heaven and hell. And you hypothesize that maybe Dante was influenced by, possibly influenced by this artist. Yes, I made this hypothesis. Um, Which I, is fascinating. I think it's quite... Yes, uh, it is sort of known. Uh, the church was built um, when Einstein was there. Mm. And uh, it was a major architectural thing in the, in the uh, Florence of the 14th century. Um, it was a major... Um, a major, major thing for the city. So it was the thing everybody was talking about. And uh, um, it was, uh, it's, uh, it's a cupola. Okay. Um, and uh, on, the, on, on the lowest side, there are um, frescoes uh, of um, the hell. Mm. And it's known that these were inspiration for Dante's Inferno. Okay. Um, but on the upper side, yeah. uh, it closes yeah. up to the, to the, when you're inside, you see this round thing around you. Yeah. And uh, in the top, there is a, a, a point of light. And around there are the, uh, angels. So there are circles of angels, with oh, nine yes. circles of angels with a name. Um, and Dante, paradise, is exactly like that. It's a single point of light with angels around, with the same name of angels around. And uh, if you're inside, any direction you go, you walk, you go around, you go to the point exactly. of flight, you come back the other time. It's the same exactly. sphere. Exactly. So Dante universe is, is the Earth in the center, yeah. and then you move out, you have the, the circle of the Moon, of yeah. Venus, of uh, Mars, and, the, and, the, and, and the, the fixed planet. And then you go to another sphere, mm. another ball, yeah. with the God in the, in the center and all the angels outside. Yeah. So when you move from the Earth, you go up, you enter the other one, you have God, then you continue, you come back, back the, other side. the other side. So it's exactly what we see. And it's a curvature of space-time as a, well. A curved space-time, yeah. exactly. It's Einstein curved space-time. Amazing, That's right. incredible. That's right. The couple of more questions, two more questions. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I wanted to go back to um, loop quantum gravity. And again, I was rereading um, reality, I mean, oh, be what it seems. And there, or reality is not what it seems. Um, 
There's an interesting idea that you posit, and it's in relation to Stephen Hawking's um, uh, event horizon and the emission of radiation from black holes. And I think, I think in, in simple terms, I mean, you can describe this obviously way better than me, but the, the idea is, is that the black holes and their existence could and maybe will in the future uh, prove that uh, loop quantum gravity is actual, in, in the sense that, you know, it will stabilize matter at a certain point, or it will stabilize um, the elemental particles at a, at a certain point. So the singularity that it, it supposedly happens within a black hole it is stabilized by the quanta. And maybe the, 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 the Hawking radiation might back that up even now? Or is that a silly, is that it for me like to come and, and, and make that assumption? I mean, I'm, it's very sim I'm, I know I'm being very simplistic, but. No, you're not. Um, the, uh, I, I wrote, uh, based on what it seems uh, before writing the seven brief lesson physics, it, uh, it was published in the UK after, but I, I wrote it before. Um, so um, I wrote it, uh, it's now um, almost a decade. I, I think. Um, and, uh, what I was saying at the time about black holes, uh, um, I, I, I stand against everything I said at the time, but in the meanwhile, things have happened. And okay. we, have, uh, we have focused more and more on black holes. And because there's an image, I mean, the recent image is, is quite fantastic, and then there's the gra gravitational waves. Yeah, uh, which come from black holes. The one we see come from black holes. So um, a number of things have happened in, since then. Mm -hmm. One is that... Uh, uh, black holes are definitely for real. Yes. <laughs> Incredibly. I never thought I would see an image. Yeah, I never thought they would see an image. It was a huge emotion for Stunning. me when they said it, when I saw this picture. Um, because uh, I grew up uh, dreaming about black holes, studying black yeah. holes, trying to understand black holes, uh, teaching black yeah. holes. And, um, you know, it's like you have talk lions all your life and you finally yeah. see a lion. Wow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, is yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, I thought of that when I saw the image, I thought, oh, Carla, this will be incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't but help because, you know, we were, we spoke about this at Second That's Home right. and it was quite, That's right. Yeah, That's right. That's right. And uh, I didn't expect that. I, I mean, I knew they were working on that. Mm. And uh, I, I knew the people working on that, and uh, they were saying, well, we're going to see that. And uh, so a few years before, and I said, oh my God, no, they are, they can't, they are not going to be able to do that. But wow, they yeah, succeeded. Incredible. So we have a picture of, um, of a black hole. I mean, the, the area surrounding black yeah. hole, the, the, the plasma and everything. Um, but also the theory has developed in the meanwhile. So um, in fact, um, we are here in Marseille with my group this morning before you came. I was with uh, two or three students in front of uh, and, and, and postdoc in front of a blackboard uh, discussing exactly how to compute the, 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 the quantum properties of black holes. Okay. And black holes are, what is fantastic about black holes is that they are exactly like predicted by general relativity. Yes. So we understand them very, very well, okay? Yeah. And everything we, we we measure now from the gravitational waves, from this picture, from else, fit perfectly with Einstein theory. But Einstein theory does not tell us what happened in the center, yes. inside, in the very, very center, and does not tell us what happened at the end of their life. Because black holes are not forever. Um, 
because they shrink slowly because of Hawking radiation. They emit uh, this heat. And by doing so, they become smaller, smaller, smaller. So they become very small. And then, we don't know. Mm. So quantum gravity, the theory of which I've been working all my life, uh, should answer these questions. Okay. And now what we have is a model. This is uh, something has happened in the last maybe three or four years. And is, 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 uh, there's a number of people working on that of what happens in the, hand of, in the center of black holes and, and at the end of the life. Okay. And roughly, let me give you a, a sense, there is this quantum tunneling, which you go over this uh, incom incom incomprehensible singularity predicted by GR, mm -hmm. this is corrected by quantum mechanics. You have this bounce. Mm -hmm. The and, bounce, yeah. And uh, yeah. the black hole bounces out yeah. into what we call a white hole. Okay. So this is the hypothesis, and we are working on this, uh, calculating this transition from black to white. Okay. So the, the black hole shrinks, becomes small, and then it bounces out. So everything that falls in eventually will come out. Okay. So sooner or later, everything will come out. Um, the beauty of this story, and the part that I like most, is that um, if you look at the black hole, a star collapsing, forms a black hole, becomes small, 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 mm -hmm. then becomes a white hole, mm -hmm. then explode. It takes very long. If you start from a star, it takes billions of years. Okay. But if you fall inside, in a millisecond you get to the center, you cross to the white hole, in a millisecond you come out. Okay. So this means that outside is a billion year, inside is a millisecond. And generativity allows that, because time is not the same yes. for, for everybody. So a black hole, what is it? It is a bouncing star, mm -hmm. collapsing and bouncing. Mm -hmm. Very fast process, but seeing a super slow motion from the outside because of time dilation. Ah, of course, yeah, yeah. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. That's the picture. And uh, the hope is that um, um, from that we can compute something that we can observe. So okay. we can uh, sort of validate this picture. So just to, to clarify again, just for myself actually, is, the idea of infinite uh, density, infinite gravity, which is what we call a, a singularity, that disappears. Disappears in a black hole. Entirely. Okay. So that's a, a wrong idea that comes from applying Einstein's relativity without taking account quantum mechanics. Okay. Quantum mechanics prevents this infinite singularity, ah, okay. stops it. Yeah. and makes the thing bounce. Brilliant. That, clari that actually clarifies a lot for me, actually, because I was trying to work that out. But yeah, it's, it's quite beautiful and quite simple as well. It, as you say in your book, it's like a handshake between quantum yeah. and uh, general relativity. Yeah. Uh, last question. Um, climate change. Um, last week we, we saw the biggest global uh, climate protests across, across the globe. Um, I think we have to half emissions, carbon emissions, in the next 10 years. Um, it's, it's obviously critical. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, people working in AI um, are talking about the, the ability in the future, or hopefully in the near future, of AI and its power of helping us to combat climate change. Now, I, I don't know technical specifics of how that might be or um, you know how far away we are from that 
Demis Hassabis from Google DeepMind, I think, I think in an interview I heard him say that this was, this was something that he was working towards. He wasn't claiming that, you know, it, it was definitely on the horizon. But do you think that this is, that there is that possibility in the near future? Or do you think it takes, it, it will be the advent of something like um, quantum computing that, that will allow us greater ability to deal with these global catastrophes? Um, I think the climate change is, is, is serious. Mm. If it is even more serious than what, is, what we hear. Mm. I think that it is uh, more catastrophic for us than what we hear. I think that is truly dramatic. Um, I think that uh, unless uh, political major decisions are taken very shortly, uh, the, the danger is increasing enormously. We're already getting to problems which are unavoidable, but mm. uh, the, 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 the more we weigh, the worse it is. Um, I don't think we should uh, hope at all that magic solutions from quantum computing or uh, artificial intelligence, whatever it is, could solve the problem for us okay. at all. So I wouldn't rely on that. Having said that, uh, obviously, any help is super welcome. So I would definitely invest resources in uh, whether quantum computing, whether deep mind, artificial intelligence, uh, anything that has a chance to help us, um, I think should be uh, pursued. Okay. With, uh, with, uh, so I, I don't think that the people you're referring to are cheating in saying that they, <laughs> they might contribute and, uh, and we should help them to... Mm -hmm. to uh, however, this should not at all become an excuse for not taking the super urgent uh, um, political decisions which are needed uh, uh, today. I, I do think that today the chances that we get into a catastrophe are more than 50%. Okay. And you know, if you have 50% probability of your house in fire, I mean, yeah. first you try to take the fire down. And then you think whether there are other possibility for the future to do. Okay, so it's thing. a political, it, absolutely political at this stage. It's absolutely political. I think yeah. that in, his, in her um, extraordinary language, Greta, uh, yes. who is going around and saying to the politicians, uh, you're crazy, you're not taking action, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, destroying the life of future generations, she's totally right. Okay. And in, his, in her emphasis, I think she's totally right. Okay. It's, uh, it's not just climate change, um, it's, uh, it's everything that goes together with it and uh, in fact um, I think that uh, I'm not an expert but my understanding is that the, the worst danger is the collapse of uh, biodiversity and uh, um, the sort of mass extinction of species which is going on, going on where um, there's a sort of confusion around because people think, oh my God, we're not going to have uh, white bears anymore on the, on the North Pole. I mean, that's not the issue. Who cares about the white bears? <laughs> Who cares yes. about the little frog in, yes. in, in Costa Rica, yeah. red and white, uh, that species? It's not that the point. Yeah. The point is that if there's a mass extinction, we're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, because our crop is going to be disappear in one mm -hmm. summer suddenly because some insect of whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, it's the balance, isn't it? That yeah, delicate, delicate are, balance. Is a, is, is, is a delicate balance. Of course, the Earth itself, 
doesn't care much. I mean, the Earth has been through several of these mass extinctions, a number of them. People say five or six, but it's depending how you count those mass extinctions. There have been some of which have wiped away 90% uh, of the species on land, for instance. Um, then it has restarted. Yes. So I, I'm not worried for the Earth. Okay. I'm worried for humanity yes. <laughs> because the Earth can recover, yes. uh, but we might not be there, and this might happen in 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 the, in the space of a generation. So I think it's extremely serious, and uh, I hope that politicians would act, which means that the people would um, consider that important. Yeah, yeah. I, I've just told one more quick question. Well, maybe it's not a quick question. Um, it's to do with Einstein, and it's to do with also his inspiration as well, and the philosophers who we know influence him. Um, Spinoza, Barak Spinoza is one, but also Immanuel Kant. Um, now, I know this is an un unfair question, but do you think Kant's understanding of time and space had... I mean, obviously, you know, Newton and, and Kant and, and, and Spinoza have a direct influence on how Einstein may have thought about reality and time. But I remember there was something that you wrote in Reality Is Not What It Seems, where you know you agree with Kant on, on his understanding of time and space and knowledge. And I just wondered whether you think that, that something like that, actually I think I have the quote here. Kant was per perhaps right when he affirmed that the subject of knowledge and its object are inseparable. But he was definitely not when he considered Newtonian space and time as a priori forms of knowledge, parts of an indispensable grammar for understanding the world. Do you think that somebody like Einstein, who would have read Kant, also would have maybe made come to that um, assertion as well in, in, in arguing with, with Kant. Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly. Um, I, I, I think it's definitely, yes. Uh, uh, Einstein read uh, Kant, mm -hmm. the, the three critics, uh, Pure Reason and the other two, uh, when he was 15. Okay. Uh, in young age. Gosh, it's incredible. Uh, yes, um, it's incredible and uh, it, Look, this is the greatest scientist, no doubt, uh, university. And he read Kant in his uh, uh, adolescence. It cannot be a chance, right? Mm. It's a <laughs> yeah. So it was obviously mm. had a major effect on his thinking, uh, reading the philosophers. Mm -hmm. He read Kant, he read Hume, mm -hmm. we have evidence, he mm. read Hume. Um, he was deeply influenced by Spinoza, mm -hmm. uh, certainly. Um, he was influenced by, I mean, uh, lesser figure, but important for him, which was Ernst Mach, mm -hmm. uh, which was just a generation before him, mm -hmm. uh, or a bit older than him. Um, he was influenced by Schopenhauer. He co co okay. repeatedly said that he was influenced by Schopenhauer. Um, now, Kant uh, is a major thinker in, in, in thinking about space and time. What Kant actually was doing, which is uh, rarely said in philosophy classes, uh, was trying to make sense of Newton. Kant is not independent from Newton. Okay. Kant um, comes after Newton, he comes after the obvious realization of the infinite success of Newtonian way of, of, of thinking the world. For Newton, space and time are such major 
uh, ingredients of his science, and Kant was saying, what is this space and this time that Newton is talking about? They're not things, okay. they're not entities, they're sort of entities, but not really, what are they? So Kant tries to make sense of Newton, and has this very remarkable idea about space and time, and um, what I was doing in this sense is distinguishing two things. Kant realizes that, uh, or, or suggests that uh, in, uh, if you want to understand what space and time are, we shouldn't just look at space and time. We should look at us trying to understand the world, and uh, uh, it's part of our looking at the world, space and time. So the subject of knowledge has, plays a big role here. And in fact, for Kant, uh, space and time are conditions for the subject to know, are forms of his, uh, his, his, his knowledge. Um, and this double aspect, uh, uh, which space and time are partially outside and partially inside, um, certainly had some influence in, in Einstein to help him to, to view that more widely once again. However, uh, out of his way of thinking about space and time, Kant um, arrives at the conclusion that that's it. Newtonian space and time are, are forever, that they are the only possibility for us to think okay. in the world. And that's wrong. <laughs> Um, so I think this is a good, all this story. But is that like an agreement then with Newton? That it's timeless? That it's a kind of a, 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 an immutable law, that it's a concrete yeah. law? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I think this, is a, this shows a number of things. First of all, how physics and philosophy, science and philosophy keep talking to one another, keep influencing one another. So this idea that we live in a world which is on one highness of science and philosophy is completely false. I mean, there's a constant, uh, the, the good science and the good philosophy are constantly intersecting one another and teach one another. Um, but also, uh, my understanding is that Einstein's mind was completely opened on the possibility of sp thinking space and time in different manners. Right. By reading um, Hume, for which space and time are always in our head, reading Kant, for which space and time are halfway, halfway, <laughs> reading, reading um, uh, 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 Schopenhauer, uh, in which time plays another role again. Mm. So he had all these options in front of him, from which he learned, without having to agree necessarily to one of that. So he had the possibility of saying, haha, I take what I need from this thinker, I take what I need with this thinker to solve the problem that I am having now mm. and make a step ahead. And that's, I think, how culture works. Right? We learn from Aristotle, we learn from Plato, mm. we learn from uh, Kant, we learn from Spinoza, we learn from each one. It doesn't mean that we agree with them. Yes. Uh, we just enrich our baggage of possible thoughts yeah. that then we, we arrange, put together, and we do our yes. step understanding. And somebody else will use our uh, way of thinking to, to make another step. Brilliant. Carlo, thank you so much. It's fascinating. Thank you very much. Amazing. Well, what can I say? Extraordinary. Uh, really incredible insight on Einstein and the influence of Kant there from Carlo Rovelli. Fabulous. Just, just earth-shatteringly fabulous. As always, sign up to our newsletter at liberia.io and get all the news and happenings in the Liberia Bookshop. See you next time.